For the last few weeks, we've been talking about keys to the kingdom. And so today's a little different. Uh, last week, it was really kind of, it, it, was, it was really hard and brutal, really it was. Uh, I say a lot of things that it, it, it'll either make you shout and glad or fight and mad. But today, it's, it's a couple of weeks ago, we talked about unity. And so I, I want to reiterate something to you. We talked about that Psalm says that where there's unity, the blessings of God are commanded to come down. I, I don't know why, why you don't get this. I, I don't understand the, the problem with this. So it's kind of like this, that, that especially these young ladies in the church. I mean, I mean, when you walk into a new place, you're nervous anyway. And the first thing you think, will he preach long? I will not. I never have. N number two, are, are these people weird? Yes, they are. Yes. Will they lock the doors and turn out the lights? I don't know. We might. I don't know. So, but you can relax. Everything's fine. I mean, everything. But it's kind of like it's unity is that, that you already form an opinion about the church way before you listen to me. They've already formed an opinion about the church. When they pull up in the front lawn, is not mowed. The bathroom stinks. There's bugs running everywhere. You've already formed an opinion before you even walked in here. Unity is a wonderful thing. It's, it's kind of like going to a restaurant can, and you tell the cook, can we please just do whatever she wrote down on the tablet? I ordered, I ordered a hamburger and you brought me a tuna fish sandwich. That's questionable. Well, I understand that, but we've been dating. We don't get along. I don't care about your love life. We got to have some unity here. And you heard me say the other day, isn't it amazing? You go to McDonald's a thousand times, they'll get your order wrong 900,000 times, and you keep going back, but one sermon in church, you get offended, and off they go. Why is that? Unity is a wonderful thing. It's like the quarterback in the huddle. Can we at least carry out what we agreed to in the huddle? We, we call a run play. Now everybody's running out for a pass. That's not what we agreed to in the huddle. Unity is a wonderful thing. And so next week, we're going to get back on unity because it's, it's very needful. But even today, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. So today's a little lighthearted, so you can kind of relax and there's no bombs going to go off today. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. It's not the Garden of Eden. We talked about this. It's a garden in Eden. It didn't use the word. Is an Arabic term for a, a horrible landscape and God hoed out and fenced out a wonderful oasis. The word garden is where we get a word for oasis. So it's not the Garden of Eden, but that's okay. I understand. I understand. But, but the idea is, the question is this morning, I, I wonder what he planted. Do you ever think about stuff like that? I think about stuff like that all the time. What did he plant? He just said he planted. Now, we, we know one thing. He had some figs going on because they covered up themselves with fig leaves. I do know that. And, there, and there's a couple other things that's kind of mentioned in Numbers. And in but, but what did God, God, did God plant the garden? And, and wouldn't we all agree that whatever he planted was probably pretty good? Does anybody know for God to make junk or do junky things? No. So he made you, so you're, you're pretty important to him. But what did he plant in the Garden of Eden? I don't know that, but I know one thing. He's still in the gardening business, according to John 15. But if he's still in the gardening business today and planting business today, and he is, would you like to see what God grows in his garden today? And if you do, you can find it in a lettuce patch. 
If you do not know what God planted in Genesis 2 and 8, which we probably don't, but I can tell you what's going on in 2023, God's still in the gardening business and you can find God's garden in the lettuce patch. Growing and developing in God hinges upon not only our obedience to God and his word, but also being in a right relationship with other believers. Because I quoted you last week, Proverbs 4 and 14, where there's no oxen in the stall, the stall is spick and span. But the more oxen you get in the stall, the deeper it gets and the more shovel is required. But that's just part of it. It's, it's a messy deal. Anybody, we talked about this, but, but when going through labor and childbirth, it's, it's not a simple deal. It's brutal. If there's blood, there's crying, there's screaming, there's laboring, there's, there's, there's anger, there's tears. Bringing a child into the, into this world is nothing, something simple. And, and men said, Oh, we, we had a baby. No, you didn't have nothing, knucklehead. She had the baby. People being born into the kingdom, they're struggling. Remember what he said? Jesus said in Matthew 11, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. Also is a word in the Greek. It means great struggle, great force, but the, but the violence taken by force. It means the kingdom of heaven is taken over. The kingdom of heaven is coming down. He said, before the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, but because of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven now is going to take it by force. Jesus Christ has come to take this thing back. And he'll take it back, and he has taken it back, but he did not come without a conflict or a fight. Why in the world do you think that living a Christian life will be easy and breezy? Somebody lied to you. Woo, turn to somebody and say, you're not the easiest person to get along. Don't come up here, I'll run from you. So just stay right where you are. So growing and developing God. So how many of us wants to grow and develop in God? Please raise your hand, please. Thank you. So we grow and develop, watch this, by, by, by obedience, studying God's word, knowing God. But number two, there's a catch. Being in a right relationship with other believers. Now, when Gail and I got married, she bought me a T-shirt and well, being because I, I didn't used to be as perfect as I am now. <laughs> but it said, this guy does not play well with others. And I wore it with great pride. <laughs> and I'm, I'm afraid that that philosophy has entered the church. We haven't learned to play well with others, and I'm going to let you know the clue. Until you do, there's no growth or maturity in your life. Okay? So I want you to grow. Turn to somebody and say, I can tell when you walked in, you're growing. Tell them that. I don't care. But what happens is, is that it's twofold. It's obedience to God. And, and I will tell you, after 35 years of this, I will tell you that the people that really can't get along with other people, they're the ones that stunted and joyed in their growth toward God. They're called rabble in the Bible, if you don't know this. Rabbles were the people that come out of Egypt that hung around the edges of the perimeter to receive the benefits and the blessings, but they stayed long away from the interior of the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't want anything to do with what was in the ark. They didn't want anything to do with what the priest was doing. All they wanted to do was just hang around the edges and immediately for a long time, then God dealt with them. I'm telling you this morning that, that we have been commanded to come together. 
And here's the deal. Not only that, there's a difference in the Greek between where two or three are gathered in his name. You know, you know, when two or three are gathered in his name, you know there's going to be an argument. We understand that. But the word gathered and assembled are two different Greek words. God has not just commanded us to be gathered. He commands us to be assembled, components put together to form something that makes sense and that's, that's workable. Not only am I glad you're here, but the, but the mission of this church is that we can come not just to gather, but we can come and be a symbol that we seem to be a working machine. Period. So when you understand now, then it's, it's about a co-op, a commune. It's called koinonia in the Greek, a fellowship. That's why this church is named Fellowship. It's because it means koinonia. Before we get a word for coin, we have currency one with another. We have something in common. We're not just that guy that sits over in the corner, either one of them. But we have currency. We, we, we have fellowship. We know who they are. It's a wonderful thing. You got to get to know them. That's why they sit in opposite corners. There's a reason why they're into the church from one another. So now then, it's not just about me. It's about we. So the design of God was intended for us to have a relationship with God. And then that relationship was in the shape of a cross. It was vertical. It came down to man. And now and then it goes horizontal. We have to reach out to humanity. So there are lessons dealing with humanity. Number one, that people that are God's way of blessing you, but they can also be the enemy's way of stressing you. Now you may want to move away from somebody. Number two, the people who did not change from being in your life is proof that they did not come to your life to be changed. Number three, those who do not build anything up in your life will eventually tear something down in your life. And last but not least, criticism is just another way of someone envying your progress and despising your differences. When you deal with other people, these, these little lessons are very important. And when God will send people to your life and not change, then this is the best thing you can remember. Those people did not come to your life to be changed. So it's okay. So this morning, dealing with a corporate group or corporate body, why is it so important to be a part of a fellowship? Why is it so important? Because somebody said, well, I can, I can, I can pray at home. Well, you can, but you won't. Oh, I can sing songs on the creek bank. I know you can, but you won't. God is just as real to me on the creek bank as a church. I, 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 I really doubt that. Because he says that is in the sanctuary where praises are going up, that's where you'll find my presence. I'm here without you a lot. And it's not the same when you're here. You know why? It's because we're bringing this commune, this community of who we are, the heart of Christ that you carry, the, the giftings of God that you possess. You know what you're doing? You're bringing it here this morning and we're having a spiritual potluck dinner. 
Now, some of the things that people bring them home, just leave them at home, but bring the good stuff here. So in Hebrews this morning, this is fast and it's kind of lighthearted. But if God is in the gardening business, and he is, then where can God be found in his garden? And is found in a lettuce patch. There are 12 heads of lettuce in the book of Hebrews. 12 heads. And these 12 heads are a sign of maturity and unity. If you don't, can't write these down, take pictures of them. Get Jordan after church and, and write them down. But I'm telling you, the sign of maturity and unity can still be found in the garden of God and it's found in a lettuce patch. And here we go. Number one, let us be very careful never to allow one single promise of God to escape our hearts and mind. Hebrews 4 and 1. It's a back translation. The Apostle Paul said, I'm fearful that I allow one verse, one promise of God to escape my heart. Because if I allow one thing that God has said, get away from me, that something will happen in my life that will bring fear and I will doubt and have unbelief from time to time. So let us be very careful. Let us be very careful never to allow one single promise of God to escape our hearts and our mind. Let us. Number two, let us labor to enter into his rest. The word labor is where we get a word called spadazzo, and it means hard work, diligence, a lot of effort. And this will take a great effort on our part to totally trust God and rest in his word in spite of our circumstances. Let us labor to enter in his rest. The hardest thing that we as Christians can do is the hardest work that we can ever experience as Christians is to trust God. You'll trust your neighbor. You'll trust Dr. Phil. You'll trust Sister Oprah. You'll trust any brand donkey on any bookstore if it's a number one bestseller. But when your life is a wreck and your circumstances are in trouble, the hardest thing for you to do is trust God totally. I ain't saying anything that's not true. Don't look at me that way either. I know you. I've been around you for a long time. You're biting your fingernails. You're worried. You're throwing up a white towel and you're, you're, you're wringing your hands. I don't know what you're going to do. Have you prayed? Well, are we that far gone? Trust God. Just trust God. So here's the deal. You don't care. You don't care. Do you care? You don't care. He don't care. He, he works for the FAA out here. He does. So he had to go through some testing, some blah, blah, blah. He had to go to Florida, blah, 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 and spend a bunch of money, blah, 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 blah. And so this is the deal. To keep his job, he said, you know, if you don't have this done in six weeks, you're fired. So he goes to Florida, has it all done. He passed. He passed the sanity test. Can you imagine that? And, and, and so the guy said, here, we're so backed up. It's going to take what? How many weeks? Four months. Four months. He said, we can't get to it for four months. And he's going, if I don't have it in six weeks, I'm fired. And if I lost my job, he's moving in with me, and that's not happening. <laughs> so, you know, him being the youth minister, come to me, I said, here's the deal. You, you've got to be still and trust God. And he goes, well, that's easy for you to say. I said, you? No, I said he didn't say that. But I, I read between the lines. I know you people. I know you. 
Oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I said, listen, this is what you're going to have to do. Trust God. But I, I, don't, I know what we're going to do. This is what I said. I said, take a week off. Don't do anything. Just take a week off. Just take a week off. Be kind to your wife once. Tolerate your children. Put them somewhere. Lock them in a closet. Just, just take a week off. Then I, don't do anything. He said, but four months, it's, it's too long. Four months are backed up. And I said, but I said this, you don't have to have the, the approval of people. The Bible says that it is a wise king that'll make the decision. And if you can get the king's blessing, the king will pronounce it over the people. Well, four months turned into four days. Four days. Are y'all deaf? Four days. And they said, go back to work. And I said, I'm going to cancel that extra bedroom. He's going back home and going to work. What I'm telling you that that he's young in the Lord and, and he did everything right. But once again, sometimes there is no testimony without a test. And the hardest thing to do sometimes is trust God. Hard work. Anybody besides me ever had to trust God? Oh, baby. I don't like it because I'm the problem solver. I got to fix it. I'm Mr. Fix it. But I will tell you that one of the hardest things you can do as a Christian is try to do what only God can do. So rest in the promises of God. Number three, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. The word confession or profession of the King James is homologia. It means this, homologia, homo same, logia is the words. We are commanded, let us only say what God has already said. Quit making stuff up. Well, I watched a TV program and I heard somebody, some psychiatrist say that we would come from chimps. I would buy that you did by your actions. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says that God created us. We didn't evolve from some type of cosmic plasma in the earth. The Lord created the heavens and the earth. And even though I wasn't there to explain everything, but the Bible says, hold fast the confession or whatever God has said in his word, that's what we must hold on to. And I'm only going to say what God says. And you have been commanded, let us say only what God has said. Number four, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us boldly come to the throne of grace, all of us. The doors of God are never locked, and there's a welcome sign that God says, come on, and matter of fact, I'll always leave the light on for you. Tom Bodette, Motel 6. It don't matter where you are. You don't, you don't, there's no catechisms here. You don't, you don't have to have the blessings of anybody here. You can be driving down the road. You can be, you can be on a bar stool. I don't recommend that. But the doors of God's mercy and grace are always open and available for people that need mercy and grace. And I'm so thankful for that. I cried out unto the Lord and he heard my prayer. Some of you that got saved in the church, I did not. I got saved at Oklahoma City Zoo between the rhinos and the hippos. I did. Some of you that went through the formula, you raised your hand and through the third verse of just as I am, you come on down. Some of you got saved in a bar room. Some of you got saved in the backyard smoking a joint. Some of you really, see, God is not limited how he'll save his people. But I, I'll guarantee you that God's doors of, of repentance are always open for those that want to know God, no matter where you are. 
Now, I encourage you, come to church. Don't say, well, he said I could go to the barber and find God. That's not what I said. One of the biggest arguments in religion today is that you, it's, it's by works. I'll tell you, that this Christianity is the, only, is the only doctrine in the world that it's by faith alone. It's grace alone. No works are involved. But I'm just so thankful this morning that, that we, we, let us, come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy in the time of need. Whatever it is, the doors of God right now are always open for you. Now, there'll come a time where God will shut the doors. In the near future, probably, that when judgment begins to, to come closer and closer, God will shut the doors, and we're not going to talk about that this morning, but now the doors of forgiveness and mercy and grace and righteousness and all these things are open for us, and I'm going to take full advantage of it. You don't even have to knock. Just come on in. Number five, let's go on to perfection. Let us go on to perfection. God wants us to complete what we began. Nothing screams immaturity than someone that will not finish what they started. Let us go on to perfection. Nothing screams that I'm a big old crybaby, I'm immature, than someone that cannot finish what they started. You know, you pay somebody to mow the lawn and they mow it half and you come back and say, what happened? Oh, I got tired. I left. Never mind. The idea this morning that God wants us to be finished. Remember, he said, let this mind in Philippians 2, let this mind that was in Christ be in us also. Philippians 1 and 6, that because he that began a good work in us, that he will want, he will quit the moment you goof up. Is that what it says? that he that began a good work in you will continue that work. He will continue that work until the day of Christ Jesus. God is in the business of beginning and completing his work of righteousness in your life. Look unto Jesus, Hebrews 12 and 2. Who is the what? The author, where we get a word for architect and finisher of our faith. He never gives up. He never quits. There's no task that's too great for him. And he's trying to develop that same mentality in all of us that we will go on to perfection. We will be finishers of what we began in the things of God. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go through. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go all the way. You do what you want to do. I'm going to finish the course they set before me. And I have, I have kept the faith. I, I have stayed the course. And above all, above all, I'm going to run this race with the patience that God has given me. So let's be finishers of it. Can we do that? The answer is yes. Number six, let us draw near with a true heart. This is found in Hebrews 10 and 22. God accepts our motives, not just our motions. We dealt with this a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter seven. Matthew five dealt with, I mean, Matthew six, Matthew five dealt with our motions, what we do. But Matthew six deals with the motives, why you pray, why you pray there, why you give, why you do certain things. And Matthew 7 deals with our maturity. When it says draw near to God, it gives us the idea that why are we coming near to God? 
The scripture will go on to tell you things like that. He wants us to come with a, with a, with a, with a full heart of loving him and honoring him. God wants our motives to be right and pure. So let us draw to God. When we come here this morning, why did you come? And I hope the answer is because I want to learn more about my heavenly father. And I want to learn to get along. I want to learn to love one another. I, because I'll tell you what, here, here's, here's a newsflash. If you can't get along here, how do you think you're going to get along up there? And somebody said one time, and said, well, that's why heaven's so big. I understand that. Number seven, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. So the word confession, let us hold fast. Kateko is the word hold fast. Let's, let's lock on to it. Let's hang on to it. Our confession or profession is homologia without wavering. So we go back to number three, but we keep saying whatever God has always has already said in his word without wavering. The word wavering is a Greek word for klino, where we get a word for recline, a recliner, to go to bed, to retire, to quit. It's over. He's commanding us to repeat and rehearse what God has already said in his word and never retire, never recline, never quit. Never. His word is offensive. His word will bring division. Jesus said, I, I want to tell you straight up, I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. I will divide the families. For you that are in, engaged into this global, this warming, melting pot that God is ooing gooey, I'm telling you, that's not really the picture that Christ drew when he gave this word to his disciples. He said, I've come to bring a sword. I've come to divide. Sometimes that you, 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 not everybody's excited you got saved when you go to work tomorrow. Your family's not excited you got born again. Everybody loved you when you was live at the party and you furnished all the liquor and you was the head dancer on the table. But when you got born again and said, we no longer do that, they, they're not that fond of you anymore. And I know that you come from the Cleavers, but I come from the Adams and the Munster family. But the Bible said, let all men be alert, let God be truth. And if I make my whole family mad, I'm okay with that. As long as God said it, I'm going to declare it and I'm going to stand there and I will never quit. I will never recline. I'll never go to bed on it. I'll keep declaring what God has said. And if it makes the whole world mad, it's okay. Because if God said it, it's good. That's the way it is. But the people of God has a heart and a desire to hear God. And so we've all learned this. We'll keep, we'll keep professing the word of God. I will not leave the parameters of the word of God. I will not do it. I'll stay in my lane. I know my lane. I'm not going to get off into other things, the secular humanism, and I'm not going to get off in the studies of chimps and whales. I'm not going to get off on that. I'm going to declare to you what the word of God says. And I won't quit and I won't retire and I won't go to bed on it. And neither should you. Let us. Number eight, let us consider one another. Here's a good one. Provoke one another under good works. The word provoke is a good word. It's called parazumas. And para means beside and zumas, it means to gouge with a sharp stick. That's what it means. 
Zumos, like Zoom, it, it, it was used for oxen. And so when these oxen really didn't go as fast as they wanted to, they would, I, I, they would take a sharp stick and, and help them along. I will tell you that the farmer didn't have an oxen and go, come on. You can do it. Come on. Come on. You Georgia Bulldog fans, come on. Well, when that didn't work, then he went and got a stick. And he sharpened it. And it's amazing that there's a nerve that runs right here that's connected right here. Most parents still have not using that today with children, but it's okay. He said, provoke one another. Let us. Watch this. Let us. Not me. And I want to say something to you. Sheep produces sheep. Pastors do not produce sheep. Shepherds do not produce sheep. Sheep produces sheep. So when you hear the word let us, I'm talking to you as well as me. And I'm a sheep. But we are to provoke one another to good works. Every once in a while, people get a little apathetic and lazy and they don't want to do anything. And every once in a while, somebody comes along and says, please, please come. Please straighten up. Please be a part. I don't want to and you can't make me. Really? How about this? And you gouge them a little bit. But what you're doing is you're motivating them for good works. And the word good is called kalos, what we get for cosmetics. And really what you're doing is this. You're enhancing the, the facial features of other people. Kalos. The Apostle Paul said, listen, let us be in the business of stimulating one another to make this more of a beautiful place. I told you a few, a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, Gail and I went to a restaurant and, and I sat down there. We, we pay cash. We never had a stolen credit card. I'm a good tipper. If you're a waitress or a waiter, I'm a good tipper. I'm telling you. I believe in, I believe in tipping. I'm a generous man. I'll promise you that. I don't, that's not bragging, but I'll tip. But, but, but anyway, we sat down there and, and the girl walks up and, 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 she, and she had this look like, she goes, what do you need? Well, I'm glad to see you too. Or what do you want? Well, I ordered a hamburger with mayonnaise and you, you brought mustard and she took the bun off and wiped it on the table and stuck it back on my hamburger patty. That's not really the customer service that we're looking for here. The idea is that, that when you go to a restaurant, wouldn't it be nice for somebody to greet you and say good morning? I go to Hobby Lobby about once every two years. I went the other day. Aren't you proud of me? And I didn't go kicking and screaming. I didn't go. But we barely got in the door and somebody said this, welcome to Hobby Lobby. And I thought, well, that's weird. Really? And I know it's a Christian, babe, David Green. I know it's a Christian, but it was just so nice to hear somebody say, welcome to Hobby Lobby. Or instead of walking the door, somebody said, don't be shoplifting anything. I said, Gayla, they're talking to you. Don't be doing that here. <laughs> Remind me to tell you a funny story. It's funny. It's funny, boy. I ain't got time right now, but it's funny. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Jeannie Wolfgram, when we moved this other house, bought us a big, expensive, I say, a, a silverware set, plate set, bowl set from brown paper bag. And I'm great friends with Sue Fernando. Great, great, great lady. Well, for whatever reason, we didn't have enough forks and silverware to go around, had the, the place, but anyway, so I take a fork and I go down there. I'm on Harley and I got a Harley vest on. I go down there and I wanted to buy for Gail or whatever, but you know, so I took a fork with me. So I pull up there and I'm, I'm looking. It had two sections of the store and this is a long time ago. And so I walk in the door and I, I'm carrying around this fork and some, so some lady probably later in her years, I never did, she didn't know me and I didn't know her. She said, uh, what can I help you with? She like this. I said, I'm just looking. So she wouldn't leave me. So I, I, I do this and she do this, you know. And then I walk over there and she walk over there. So anyway, she goes, well, what is it that you're looking for? I said, oh, I'm, I'm looking for a fork. I'm looking for a fork. And, and, I, and, I, and I pull that fork out and she said, where'd you get that at? Well, I said, well, I think we got it here. She goes, yeah, that, that fork there, we only, we, we're the only ones sell that. Did you buy that? And I said, well, I personally didn't buy it. She goes, figures. And I said, but I, I need some more like it. I was trying to be nice. I really was. And uh, she said, yeah, you, that's very expensive. I said, I understand that. She said, you may want to put that back. I said, well, it, it belongs to me. But at the time, Sue Fernanda walks in the door. She said, Pastor Ham, good morning. How are you? I said, boy, Sue, I'm great. I'm great. And this lady is like eight inches from me. She's about that tall. And she said, everything's going, everything's fine. I said, everything's fine. Is, 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 is whatever her name taking good care of me? I said, oh, she's taking great care of me. I never said anything. And when Sue left, she kind of looked, she goes, I'm sorry. I said, apology accepted. And then I kind of told her the deal. And it'd been a little easier for me if I went through the spill and said, I'm pastor, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes I like to mess with you. You know that. <laughs> so the idea this morning is let us provoke one of the good works. Some of you didn't have a good week this week, I understand. Some of you really had a hard last month, I understand. And some of you barely got here this morning, I understand. But I'm glad you did. And I'll tell you right now that it may not be in you to smile and be happy and be joyful, but I'll tell you, the good news is you're probably surrounded by people carrying something sharp that was gonna provoke you, to help you, laugh a little, be more friendlier, be more kinder and be more apt to say, God is greater than any problems that I face this week. I'm glad I'm here this morning because if I didn't come, I'd probably still smell like Pepe Le Pew and now I don't. God is good, is he not? And you're a better people because of the people in this church and I'm a better man because of you. Why? Because we've learned to let us consider one another. The word consider, kalanoios, it means that put ourselves in their position. I know what some of you have been through this week, and I'm sorry. Nina and Kenny's building a house. I understand what you're going through. The stress, I understand. Not that I live with stress. I understand building a house. You ought to work with the guy I work with. Oh, my goodness. 
You don't know the plumbers I work with. Woo! So this morning, I, can, I want to provoke you to continue to enhance and beautify the people of God. Turn to somebody and say, I'm better because of you. Do it. I'm better because of you. Number nine, let us lie aside every weight. Somebody brought in a box of donuts a while ago. How hypocritical is that? Let us lay aside every weight that so easily besets us. Whatever holds you captive, whether it be resentment, hate, anger, unbelief, fear, and etc., find the keys of prayer, praise, and forgiveness, and unlock yourself. Unlock yourself. Otis Campbell did it on Andy Griffin. He knew what the keys was. And some of you go, who is Otis Campbell? Never mind. Never mind. But when you find yourself incarcerated, tied down, weighted down, shackled down by hate, fear, resentment, unforgiveness, all those things, then the Bible is filled with keys to unlock it. Find it. I'll tell you, nothing more will unlock your, your fear and hate and unforgiveness like when praise and worship is going on, just lifting your hand and say, I don't care what anybody says. God, you're worthy to be praised. And I don't care what people think about me. All I want you to do is what you think about me and you're worthy of everything that I have to offer. And here it is. Oh, you're talking about lock, unlocking you. Woo! It'll set you free. And if, and if that may not be you, somebody say, well, I'll act like a Really? I went to a football game with you one time. Oh, they said like church like this. Well, I'm just not that way. Really? I, I saw you when the Minnesota Golden Gophers was playing the Green Bay Packers and you was acting like a, a fanatic. Well, if you can get that excited over a pigskin and a bunch of knuckleheads, I mean, what about the, the one who gave his life for you? And the one that gave you his spirit to live within you, to help you. I really think that deserves a lot of our praise and worship. So I'm going to lay aside all that. I'm, I'm going to lay it aside and I'm going to honor God. Number 10, let us have the grace to serve with reverence and godly respect. I wrote that we are standing on a sure foundation which cannot be moved or shaken. So by that, we will not be moved or shaken either. Give us the grace to serve God with great respect and fear. That it's a holy thing to fall in the hands of a living God. It's a, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. I don't fear God into the sense of fear that I'm scared to death of him. I fear God out of respect. One of the greatest terms at funerals that I do is for grown men, grown men my age, to attend their father's funeral and still call him daddy. It tells you something. Some of you already know this, and I got to go. I, I, I promised these ladies I wouldn't preach long, but I lied. I will tell you right now, I lied straight up. <laughs> I'll repent later. But you may not be aware of this, but, but the, the first time that they wanted to kill Jesus is when the first words come out of his mouth that he referred to as God as Abba, Father, Daddy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the religious sector want to kill him because he referred to God as daddy? It's a term of endearment. It's more than just Elohim and Adonai. He's my daddy. I still to this day, Gail and I get so 
tickled and teared up to hear Alex talk about his dad. Really, it's funny. My dad. My dad. He's, my daddy's this. My daddy's that. My daddy's the best cooker. My, my daddy's a bad driver. It's funny. I mean, it's just, I said, Mama, everybody knows that. But, but, but we serve God this morning out of a sense. It's not a religious. It's just not in a religious frame of mind. He, he's, he's my daddy. He's my father. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. And every time I speak about him and talk about him, it's more than just something that I read in a magazine or an article. It's, it's, it's about a relationship that we spend time together. And he's my dad. It's pretty well known that anybody can be a father, but it takes a special guy to be a daddy. There's been a lot of long-distance fathers, but I'll tell you, to be a, a daddy, it, it means that you, 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 you integrate time and, and concern and care with on a regular basis. And so we serve God at a sense of, of, of reverence of, of who he is, not out of, of, of this piousness, but it can be piety, but not being pious. So it, it's a sense of, I love him and love me. And it's, it's, it's this wonderful nomenclature, I guess, of, of his love for us and our love for him. He's my daddy. He's my daddy. Number 11. Let us therefore go unto him bearing his approach. All who will live a, a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now the scripture says in let us therefore go into the bearing his reproach. That's found in, in Hebrews 13, but it means that he was crucified outside the city, outside the camp. He's telling us that as he bore his cross to be crucified outside the camp, that we too, we all have crosses to bear. So as Jesus took his cross to bear and was crucified outside of the city and outside the camp, so too that we all, have crosses to bear. And I wrote this, that all who will live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, 12 says this. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I, I need you to take a picture of that because today or tomorrow may not be your best day ever. If we live a godly life, we will suffer persecution. Whether it be at home, on your job, and in relationships, you're going to suffer it. Now, if you'll give me just a few moments, and I know, I know, but I want to read a few verses. This is found in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 13, the Message Bible. Watch what it says. If you've been a good apprentice to me, Paul says, a part of my teaching my manner of life, direction, faith, steadiness, love, and patience, troubles and sufferings, sufferings along with me and all the grief that I had to put up in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, remember? In Lyconia is where they stoned him to death. And you also well know that God rescued me. It means raised him from the dead. And anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in a lot of for a lot of trouble because there's no getting around it. Unscrupulous con men will continue to exploit the faith and they are deceived as the people are led astray. As long as they are out there, things can only get worse. 
Don't ever say what else can happen. Don't ever say that. This is what I'm telling you. That the Apostle Paul said, if you live a godly life, you are going to suffer reproach and persecution, period. It's nothing new, and it's only going to get worse. I told somebody the other day, before we get to number 12 and we're done, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, one, that we live in perilous times. The word perilous in the Greek is, is used one other time when Jesus gets off the boat and he sees two men that are demon-possessed, not the one, but two from the Gadarenes, and he refers to them at their actions as perilous. So the Apostle Paul took that word that most Jews knew about the Gadarene men that was possessed by demons, and he inserted in the second Timothy 3 and 1, he says, in the last days, you're going to live among hostile people, untamed individuals, undisciplined mankind that are out to destroy and tear up and divide because that's what demons do. Boy, if Paul ever got anything right, he got that one right. We live in an environment that's hostile to the things of God. I don't know about you, but, but, but I'm telling you, if you live for God and promote the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, hostility is all around you. So, last but not least, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually giving things that is through the fruit of our lips. These 12 heads of lettuce can be found in God's garden. That's what God is growing, 12 heads of lettuce. The number 12 is the number of our divine government. This is the government that God wants us to have in this church. Number 12. And what happens is, is for God, number 12 says this, we are to offer up a sacrifice of praise which is the fruit of our lips. David said it like this, Psalm 51. God said, I don't want your, your, your bloody bullocks. I, I, don't want, I, I don't want your slain animals anymore. I want you to come to me with a heart, a contrite spirit and a broken heart. That's where you'll find God. We're not looking for a report card today. I'm just telling you, God says, this is what I want for you growing in my garden. These 12 lettuce heads all comes down to this. This is what God is doing today. And this last one is so important, is that even though that I don't understand the Christian walk, and even though I don't get things right, and even though I don't know the 16 fundamental cardinal doctrines of the sins of God, and, and I don't either, but you know, one thing that I do know is this, the sacrifice of praise that I've learned with my lips that God is greater than my sin. God is greater than my circumstances. I love him more today than I've ever loved him before. Heaven has never been more near than it is right now to me. In all my confusion and misunderstanding that he's a constant source of love and grace, his doors are never locked. I'll only say what he says. I made up my mind that I will carry this thing through. That's the garden that God is growing today. Let us do all these things.
together. It's not me, it's we. It's not you, it's us. It's a great garden. Now closing this morning, you go, whoo, I'm glad. Let's go back to the very, very beginning. No, I mean, not like we're starting over. I mean, the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 26. What's this? Let us. Let us. Let us make man in our own image and our own likeness. You know what God was saying in the lettuce patch? Let's make something great. Don't miss this point. Let us make something great. Together. We're going to make the image of man and he'll be great and we're going to pour into him. But let us make something great. And this is what I say to you, by yourself and alone, you cannot accomplish what you can being together. There's not only strength in numbers, but there's safety in the numbers of counsel. But I'm telling you this morning, even God set the pattern, let us Make man in their image. Let us make something great. Let us make something that will glorify God and declare His goodness. And that's exactly what Paul is commanding us to do all through the book of Hebrews. Let us make something great in the house of God together. You may not understand me, join the club. You may not appreciate me, I understand. I may confuse you. I'm from West Texas, what can I say? But I will tell you one thing, what we have in common is this, we've all been through hardships and trials and disappointments, but one thing is we all have in common that the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all sin and God is greater than all of our circumstances. That's it. And together, we're gonna make something great. Kenny, can I say, thank you for being this church. You make me laugh. Thank you. I don't mean like I'm looking at you, you make me laugh, but you make, I like being around you. The plumbers in the corner, they make me laugh. Let us, let us be a completer what God started. Let us go on to perfection. Let us improve the facial features of one another. Let us honor God together. Let us come to this sanctuary and glorify His goodness. Let us make something great again for the kingdom of God. That's it. Class is over. Now this is gonna be a shocker to you but I really never did like people. <laughs> it's funny. Ooh, I didn't like people. Didn't like them. Didn't like them. When I got old, I didn't like them. And I said from the word go, there's two things that I would never do. My wife did. I would never own a Lincoln and I would never be a pastor of church. And I've eaten those words for 35 years. I didn't like them. Didn't have the patience for them. Didn't like it. Didn't like them. But isn't it amazing when God puts you in a situation that God changes your heart? 
And I will tell you that God right now is doing something supernatural within every one of you. His presence is, is, is among us today. And He's removing the cataracts of your tunnel vision of what you think about other people. And He's filling you with your heart with love and understanding and consideration for one another because together, let us change our world. We can do it together. We're gonna find out next week if you'll show back up how we can do this. All right? Father, this morning, thank you. Just, just thank you. We, we come from different backgrounds. We come from different beliefs. We come from different denominations. We come scattered. As James says, that the people are scattered all over the four corners of the earth, but you have brought us here together in this place. And you've done something very wonderful and very magical that only this you can do is that you have disarmed our differences. And you filled us with your love and your grace. And in this wonderful garden called the lettuce patch, we have learned to love, to worship, to work, to labor, to sing. We've learned to do all these things together. And it's wonderful music in your ears. And I pray this morning that we will not be immature in our thinking, in our understanding another day. Right now, even in this place today, that God, you are reaching some people, you're touching some people, you're doing what only that you can do. You know their heart, you know where they're at, you know the sound of the empty shell that they're carrying around inside their chest. And I pray this morning you would just fill them right there, right where they are. Let them know that you have always loved them. Your eye has never been off them. But with the cords of love that you've tugged on their hearts and you've, you've moved them and you've taken the places, but they've always known you. So let today, let all of us be aware of what you're doing in our lives. It's not about me, it's about we. It's a lettuce patch. So Father, this morning, let us live the rest of our life honoring you and glorifying you and loving one another. We've been commanded to do so in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. With the lettuce patch, please stand and give the Lord a praise offering, huh? Yes. I love you. I'm so thankful you're here. I'm so glad you're part of the lettuce patch. It wouldn't be the same without you. Join hands this morning. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion. Some of you know this morning that we celebrate communion every week. It's just a reminder of the covenant that Christ made with us. It was the last thing that he did on planet Earth. It was the last lesson that he gave us in the garden about the cup and the bread. It was the last marching orders that he gave us while he was alive on earth. 
And so by doing so, that we're gonna honor that. We're not gonna recline, we're not gonna quit, we're not gonna retire, we're gonna do exactly what he said. So the communion servers, please come this morning, we're gonna celebrate Holy Communion today. And some of you this morning, you may say, well, I don't know, I was raised in a church that they forbid you because of my lack of attendance or the F's on my report cards. The Bible says this, if you don't know this, but the Bible says, let a man examine himself. That he would not take the cup unworthily. The word unworthily means in axios. It means your worth. We never take communion in our own worth. There's only one that's worthy, and that's Christ Jesus. I take communion in his worth. And once again, communion is the fellowship. So this morning, if you really want to be acquainted with the fellowship of the love of God through Christ, we practice this through Holy Communion. So Jesus sat down here with his disciples and he, he took the bread and he said for 1500 years back then, you've been observing the first Passover. He said in John 6 that my father sent down manna, the bread from heaven, and your fathers ate it, and they did hunger again. But he said that I am the bread of life, and if any man eat of me, he'll never hunger again. And they took the bread. And then he took the cup, and he said, this cup has been symbolic for 1,500 years as the lamb's blood that was taken and placed on the shape of a cross that the Abaddon or the death angel would see the blood upon the doorpost and pass over. And Jesus said, I am the Lamb of God now that takes away the sins of the world and my Father will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross. And the death angel cannot harm you. And every time we take the bread and every time we drink of the cup, it reminds us that we remember what Christ has done for us. Father, bless this cup, bless this bread. And for all, that partake of it, let them find health and life and holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.